Hi everyone and welcome to the Fintech Germany Award Jewelry Podcast enabled by Financial Times. I am Alexandra, your host today, and we will provide you with insights on the award, our jewelry members and latest trends in the industry. I'm sitting in Frankfurt today at a wonderful office of Metzler with Marco Di Sazio. Marco, great to have you here today. Hi, Alexandra. Um, thanks for having me and transforming this old building or this old room into a podcast studio. Yeah, I mean, this is what we call going forward, doing transition digitization and seems like Metzler is the perfect place for it today. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, Marco, let's just start with what our listeners want to know. So we would really like to get some insights on you as a person and what you are currently doing as your job at Metzler, of course. Sure, Will. Um, yeah, I'm working with Metzler for about eight years now. Um, we basically in my department are responsible for digital transformation and innovation, mm -hmm. innovation management and everything that comes with innovation workshops, entrepreneurship, etc. Um, we basically built this company for years ago or since four years. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, we opted to put anything that is out in the market on new technology, new ideas, new ways of working together into our little hub and try to validate if there's some uh, implications for us uh, of some sort. Mm -hmm. um, for example, we um, pretty early, we um, tried to, to get ahead in the blockchain uh, environment and the blockchain ecosystem. And they formed a little team which were, which was um, doing some sort of education and awareness mm -hmm. in within the bank. Um, Yeah, we worked on, on this topic for over a year, which led to a little carve out, um, into our digital asset office, um, which is, um, stuffed with our colleagues, uh, Hendrik and Shah. Um, mm -hmm. they do an amazing work in this kind of, um, realm. Um, but anyways, um, what we're doing is uh, also we, uh, since the very beginning of this year, uh, with the uprising of AI and ChatGPT, we, um, try focusing on implementing AI into our okay. bank. But yeah. uh, then, then I'm a little uh, sad that you have not created an avatar for today's podcast. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, just kidding. No, just kidding. It's way better to have you here in person today and to make this recording. I have some more questions on Metzler later because this sounds really interesting. And of course, we... Um, we'll deep dive into that. But um, before that, I also did some research on you and I saw on your LinkedIn that you had quite an interesting and maybe contrary job to the job that you're doing now at Metzler. You worked for a regulator. Could you give us some insights or anecdotes or anything you are, of course, allowed to talk about? So how was that time and How do, do you end up at the regulator right after university? What was the motivation? Yeah, that is a very good question. I sometimes ask, ask that myself in retrospective. But anyways, <laughs> I actually was doing my research for my bachelor thesis, um, which was uh, on, I think it was um, corporate social responsibility reporting within the Eurostox 50 banks or something like When that. When was that? 
2011. Oh wow, then you were quite years ahead of many... You see? Uh, yeah, <laughs> okay, great. And no, uh, what I found was quite a lot of research being done by um, the Buffin, and it mm -hmm. um, it stroked me of some sort. And so I was um, doing a deep dive into what they have to offer, like elsewhere mm -hmm. on uh, different topics and so on and so forth. And uh, yeah, I was impressed by actually the opportunities um, being held by the uh, Buffin. So I kind of tried looking for jobs. I mean, I was open-minded after my studies, so I was mm -hmm. like, okay, you're just a starter. The most important thing is to get some sort of experience. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, now I, I then um, stepped into the, the the dark side, as I like to call no, it. No, it's not the dark side. It's not the it's dark side. Already. The dark side, um, we had it in the episode with Stefan. He told us then back at the days, a lot of people that were studying economics, they only had one dream, being a consultant or being an investment banker. So I would rather say that, yeah, investment banks is maybe the dark side, but or was at that time. But uh, yeah, happily, the crisis is over. <laughs> okay, ag agree. <laughs> no, the, agree. the regulator is not the dark side. And I mean, I have also seen the regulator, especially in Germany, as very proactive and helpful with developing new business models. I mean, if we just think of all the fintechs in 2014 and 15. The BaFin was much faster with implementing new mm -hmm. processes and video identification and these kinds of things than other European regulators. So mm -hmm. um, I would never say that this is the dark side. Convinced. Convinced. <laughs> All right. No, but... Uh, True, true, 100% true. So no, but what actually, were the, maybe the learnings? Could you give us some learnings absolutely. that you have also transformed now into your current job or learnings that is interesting for our listeners from your time at the Bafin? Yeah, well, um, it was um, at a pretty early stage of my professional career to be handling all the The, the I say I might say the big folks of mm -hmm. all the, the 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 partners of the law firms and so on and so forth. I mean, you step into the professional career uh, in a pretty early uh, or a young uh, age, mm -hmm. and uh, you gotta communicate and also handle the friction between the regulator and on the other side the law firms, the corporates, whatsoever, mm -hmm. and most uh, mostly um, the speakers um, of the corporate side are. Like I said before, the partners or, mm -hmm. you know, the partner level. So um, this kind of um, communication between um, high level profiles and you as a beginner, that was um, a big learning. Like how are they communicating? How are they discussing and argumenting mm -hmm. and so on and so forth? And for you being a young guy um, to be uh, holding your ground, that uh, was At first, um, for me, unimaginable to, mm -hmm. to be handling that. But, I mean, you've been thrown into cold water, so y y you needed to do that. And at the end, yeah, you are the mm -hmm. regulator. So, um, yeah, you are, like we said in Germany, as, as, sit, as sitting on the longer lever. The längere arm, The längere arm, the längere yes. Okay, so that made it a little easier for you, I guess, because just when you said this, jumping into cold water, it was the same for me in the investment banking where I started in Munich as a 21-year-old after my studies. And then you had to deal with amounts of money that you just 
were freaking out about. For them, it was just normal to trade a hundred million dollar ticket or to subscribe to these big Italian car company bonds. And uh, you were sitting there on a Friday evening in the night shift and settling all that through. That was crazy for me too. But I learned a lot as well there. So um, yeah, the, the cold water thing is also something we talk later uh, again <laughs> about. You know where this right. is going. <laughs> But um, how did you then end up at Metzler? So what motivated you to step into this very uh, traditional family-owned bank. So what was the motive? Um, within my time at Bafin, I was also trying to be more focused on digital digitalization and also on the fintech sector in general. I was always kind of interested in startups and what's going on in the fintech environment and the realm of uh, digitization and so forth. Um, but I mean, the positive abilities were limited, very limited at the Bafin mm -hmm. um, for that kind of doings. So I was, um, yeah, just looking around and um, I came to a talk with uh, some Bafin colleague and uh, yeah, we, we had a nice talk and actually um, at some point I just ended up here. Okay. Um, yeah, it was, it, it was uh, very interesting because um, for me, Messe was well known, but Like I said, as a traditional bank, right? Mm -hmm. Like um, you don't uh, see the bank at the forefront of innovation or digitization. And um, they at that this time they had a very interesting project in this regard, mm -hmm. like um, trying to build up a robo advice or mm -hmm. digital asset manager, asset manager, as uh, of some sort. So um, that was convincing for me. So I stepped into the bank and. Um, Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy still to be here and um, doing what I'm doing. So cold water again, somehow. Absolutely, absolutely. That's an approach I love so much because whenever someone says, this has never happened or we never have succeeded with doing this or that, then this is um, the fuel that motivates me to say, okay, let's try it. Because um, if you succeed with something that has been tried before and then you find a way because sometimes circumstances change, regulation changes or technology changes. And so I think it's worth to try some approaches every couple of years because you might find um, a solution that fits. Absolutely. I mean, I see it in my daily work now. Uh, a couple of years ago, we tried the first approach of AI within the company. and it was A couple of years. Yeah, let's say, yeah, I think it was three to four years ago. Okay. And we started uh, thinking about how could we implement AI. I mean, it wasn't a, in our little team, right? It was not on, on corporate level or institutional mm -hmm. level. But anyways, um, at this time, Gen AI wasn't a topic at all. So we were thinking about big data and all this kind mm -hmm. of stuff. And we came to the conclusion, all right, this is not what our bank strives for because we don't have as much data as being needed for AI models. So you don't have so much data as like um, big, Deutsche Bank big or banks. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. to, to name someone. Um, but anyways, now with the uprising of, of Gen AI, the, the environment and the mindset 
absolutely changed. So people see, okay, there's a use case for each and every one of us. So yeah, that's that's basically what you said. Just um, roll over the topic at a, at another point of time and it will succeed maybe. That sounds quite like an interesting company culture as well. So because of course in a lot of companies and especially banks, be it publicly private owned or large um, shareholder owned banks, There are innovative people everywhere in some departments, maybe, but um, to really be successful with the company as a whole, you need to have a whole culture about that. So what do you do about the culture here? Is there anything you are allowed to tell us? Yeah, I think so, because I was um, talking about that lately a lot, quite a lot. So um, what we are striving to do is... Um, building awareness and mm -hmm. doing a lot of education to several topics um, mm -hmm. to get off the fear of the, of the persons, of the, of the workforce. Mm -hmm. um, for example, with AI, is always the fear of being replaced, you know, True. because like AI is going to be my, uh, doing my job or whatsoever. And uh, we are not getting tired and telling them, AI won't be a replacement. We don't see AI replacing you in the next one to two AI years. AI replaces a tool. the tasks that you really do not want to do, maybe. Exactly. And AI enables you to have much greater tasks to do in the future. I mean, I saw that with the first RoboAdvisor projects in 2014. I mean, no one wants to fill out account opening documents. This was something which was done via the technology then. And the people, after all these robo-advisors were implemented, um, the people in the bank, it was a much broader workforce afterwards. So there was no one replaced. On the contrary, because the bank was growing, the people were growing. And it was also very enriching in their tasks because they did not have to do the stuff you really don't want to do when you work in a bank, right? So, um, yeah, but it's still a fear that people have. I mean, to be honest, if we take you and me into account today, we could just tell an AI, please do a podcast episode. <laughs> that is absolutely true. I think that's uh, I hope, already been I hope made, Michael but... is not listening to this episode <laughs> today. Um <laughs> We don't want to get him to this idea, but it would be interesting to generate an AI podcast episode for the FTGR. Maybe, maybe once it. we are all done, we try it out. Absolutely. Okay. Um, if we go back to the awards, maybe you are on the jury for some years as well. So what motivates you to be in this jury every year and to take part in the, I call it sleepless nights, because when you have so many fintechs on the list, it's hard to evaluate um, them all in your daily um, businesses. So I do it mostly um, in, in my sleepless nights. Um, what motivates you to be part of this whole process every year? Because it's really time consuming, right? It is, absolutely. Um, yeah, first of all, it was also, it applies again to cold water. Um, I started working with, uh, with Michael, I think it was 2019, the first time, uh, not as a jury member, but more on the, the back end side, you know, like building up the process for the jury members, mm -hmm. um, for the jury evaluating process and so on and so forth. Um, <clears throat> each year I, 
learned a lot by doing so, you know, from, from, from Michael, from, from doing mm -hmm. business with, with all the other jury members and being in the jury in the last two years, it, it's the, the learning effect was even stronger. You know, I mean, I think I'm in the whole jury. Uh, I'm the, the youngest, not of age, but in terms of being uh, in the realm of startups and fintechs. Mm -hmm. And it, it was just amazing to see how the people communicate uh, with each other. They talk to each other. They have so much experience and knowledge. There's, I mean, there's such a great yeah, expertise. Yeah, the meeting that we had. It's That awesome. was that was such a great day. After the day, on the one hand, I was absolutely exhausted in my brain because it was just so much information. But on the other hand, I was fully energized because of the energy in the room, because of yeah. all the new perspectives, all the new learnings. That was yeah an amazing day. And you did a great job with the <laughs> with the Excel. So um, if anyone is listening um, and really wants to know about uh, how to handle such a jury process with a lot of spreadsheets and connecting the Excels, then Marco is your go-to person. <laughs> <laughs> I hope no one, no one uh, accept this offer. No, <laughs> but I'm um, going back to your question. It's, you know, uh, what I really, or what really impressed me was actually that everyone was being humble. So humble, like everyone was talking to each other. And either way, if you're a junior in your experience or absolutely senior and expert, um, every voice was heard. True. Um, mm -hmm. And everything you said was taken into account. Mm -hmm. um, and this Like being in this space, in this realm of, of expertise, this is actually what, what motivates me to, to be part of the FinTech Award um, for the next couple of years as a jury member, but also as an organizer and co-head and whatever. Mm -hmm. And also to be um, in, in close contact with the future leaders of the FinTech scene. For example, you you get to know a lot of, of fintechs, founders, mm -hmm. CEOs, or whatever of the fintechs, and to see what what kind of motivation, intrinsic motivation they are working with, what kind of drive they are thriving to to be better mm -hmm. each and every day. Um, this is just inspiring. It's a, and at the end, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I love that um, about the jury work as well. And of course, to get to know so many perspectives, because yes, I have my expertise as well, but the others have expertise on fields where I sometimes think, okay, this is just insane. I had no idea that this is something where you could put a business model out of it. And um, yeah, that's what I liked as well. For the award and the jury members that we just talked about, is there someone you would not have met if it wasn't for the awards? I mean, each and every one, of course, but... Some... Except for Franz von Metzler. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. He's the exception, right? Now, um, of course, Michael. Michael Mellinghoff, right? Um, the the founder, I think, of the FinTech Journey Award. Um I'm actually really honored to have met him. I'm mm -hmm. really grateful just by him as a person. He's yeah. a fun guy. I agree. His uh, capabilities. Positive attitude. Absolutely. His capabilities <laughs> of connecting people. Yes. You know, like 
talking to each and everyone, connecting the dots, connecting the people, but also the ideas and just do hands on. It's, it's, it's again, it's inspiring. Um, in this regard, as in kind of a mentor, actually, I, I think he would blush if he would be here, like yeah. the red cheeks, if, if yeah. I would, if he would uh, hear me saying that out loud. But also the, um, the, the insights providing, provided by Michael and also, of course, the network. I mean, yeah. not only him, but like I said, the jury members and everything that comes with that. This is, it's, it's just immense. For me, it's also interesting to um, have a look into the VC bubble every now and then. Yeah, absolutely. Because when you work on the fintech and the startup side, then you normally do not have so much to do with the VC scene. Um, I have an anecdote on that where I had a glimpse into that um, because I was doing a project with a fintech. I will not say who and at which bank, um, but then they said, yeah, we really would like to go further, but our current investors have declined funding because they were having some disputes, the investors over themselves, not the fintech and the investors, but the investor mm -hmm. circle. Then I also said, okay, but is there anything we could do? We could help. And then I, I looked into my LinkedIn for... Uh, VC contacts and I called everyone and said, hey, I have something. Do you want to look at it? Um, and this was, yeah, it was really frustrating to see that sometimes good business models do not make it because they have not the right investors on board. And on the other hand, it's great to see that you have um, examples on the contrary where you have a good set of investors and uh, angels and Yeah, a good mix. But this is something, this is a bubble for me, which I like to have a better look when we are in the awards. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the VC um, sector or the VC environment was a was a black box for me before. And so I, I just... Good to hear, I'm not alone with no, that. No, absolutely not, absolutely not. <laughs> If we go back to um, the industry itself, which trends do you want to see the companies to solve in the next years? Or right. problems, it just does not have to be trends, but which yeah. problems should be solved? Um, I think um, that's being said before, but um, everything related to somehow sustainability and climate change, mm -hmm. of course. In general, like clean energy um, or circular economy or whatsoever. Um, but as I'm speaking as a jury member of the FinTech mm -hmm. Award, of course, I um, focus my answer a little more on the FinTech sector. So I would say um, with sustainable finance of some sort of, or whatever, you know, like um, it's, it, I think in, in the last years has it emerged as one of the most pivotal areas um, in the realm of fintech and it's addressing just as a game changer not just for the financial industry but also for the global effort to combat any environmental or societal challenges so i would go with sustainable uh, sustainable finance so the allocation of capital yeah. is crucial in the next decade. for example yeah for example i mean we've seen it before and we also had a special award in, in a, mm -hmm. I think last year, um, 
solutions like ESG, robo-advisors, focus on sustainable finance and whatsoever, um, and or innovative financial products, um, mm -hmm. which are in the ma making. And I think fintechs are actually very well prepared or positions to develop um, and offer these products uh, off sale. So maybe then it should not be just a special award on that topic. Maybe we should include that as a permanent category into the questionnaire, maybe and like we have done with the culture, yeah. which is also new on the questionnaire. Maybe that's that's an approach. Yeah, I think we need to discuss this with Michael. Yeah, okay. <laughs> And a uh, fun fact uh, on Michael, and he, he might blush again if we now talk about him again. I just wonder why he has not won an award yet. I mean, there are so many influencer awards and networker awards, and, and maybe we should nominate him. This is now the test if Michael is hearing this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and um, to podcasts, I mean, we have just talked about that as well. And um, Michael is also now a big fan of uh, the podcast scene uh, now that um, we have basically our own. Um, is there any podcast recommendations from you or anything that you like to listen to? Um, yes, of course, I'm quite... I'm listening quite often to podcasts actually on a daily basis. And one of my favorites is uh, for sure Lex Friedman podcast, which you can find on Spotify or I think on any platform which provides um, podcasts. Um, I think every now and then is a new podcast coming out like every week and provides um, deep information about science, politics, um, business whatsoever. It's super interesting. Mm -hmm. um, um, so it just doesn't cover one niche it's no, very broad not. and absolutely. Mm -hmm. and of course and that's because i know that you're also listening to him <laughs> it's andrew huberman <laughs> who focuses on on also several aspects on health mental health but also like um um body health whatsoever fitness and Yeah, yeah that, it's, it's 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 a bright range of topics. Um, that was also a topic with the episode with Nectarios because yeah. he's so into the topic of um, mental health, and um, I'm I'm also very interested in that because I have seen what can all go wrong if you do not address these issues, and if no one is talking about it, then you also are not as sensitive to it as um, it, maybe if you have employees and they are suffering from certain issues and um, if it's not discussed in the public somehow, um, the people are afraid to maybe make a claim and tell someone about it. So uh, I think this is very important. And the fun fact, uh, we just talked about the cold water we love to jump into and um This is also something from the Andrew Huberman podcast, uh, which which he calls the deliberate cold exposure. And I have also a recommendation to make in Frankfurt um, for anyone who really wants to try that. Go into the um, cold cabin mm. uh, and, and let you frost to minus 110 degrees. <laughs> Sounds crazy. It is a little bit crazy. But uh, you come out afterwards and just have all the great ideas in your head and uh, just want to uh, get things going. I, I will put it on my bucket list, but I'm not sure if I'm gonna do it in the winter time <laughs> when it's when it's actually for, uh, freezing but, cold outside. But yeah, but I just learned when you do that every now and then, and I mean it's only two minutes. It's less than a pop song, and you are less 
sensitive to the cold outside and that's, that lasts for weeks. So of course you need to do it some, sometimes, but you are not as freezy outside anymore as before. So it helps you in the winter. Yeah, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> Maybe I will try it and we can talk about my experience the next time we see each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, If we go to the podcast recommendations, I have also one to make, which is the podcast by Nectarius. He just reinvented his podcast series. We will also put a link into the show notes. So um, I would also deeply recommend, of course, his podcast. And yeah, of course, our own now, um, which is one of the weekly podcasts I listen to as well. I have another last category, Marco. You know what is coming. <laughs> In the last episode, Stefan, he wanted to ask a question as well. He did not know that it was you. But I think that this question perfectly fits <laughs> as if he knew it, but he didn't know because I didn't know either. Stefan wants to know. If you think 10 years ahead from now, what do you think the fintech industry will look like? And what aspect have we most neglected today? Wow. Um, many thanks uh, to Stefan um, for this <laughs> quite challenging uh, question. Anyways, I try my best. I'm looking in uh, the glass kugel. <laughs> I think what we'll see, um, we talked before, Alexandra, um, there are many uprising topics, which we're not sure about if they will kind of go to the moon or not. Mm -hmm. Speaking of going to the moon, I think um, decentralized finance will be there. At the moment, we know it will be somehow, but we're actually not sure how mm -hmm. and uh, when actually. But and it will stay. I mm -hmm. think it will stay. It's here to stay. Mm -hmm. Also, AI. AI is going to influence um, the, the way we are doing business together, the way we communicate together, and also the way we're doing um, finance. Right. So I think AI is changing and transforming the, the finance business um, very strongly in mm -hmm. the upcoming years. So I think there will be a big part of AI parts uh, finance. Um, then, of course, with um, the development of technology, quantum computing. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking about it now and uh, there are some companies um, who are experimenting with quantum computing. And I think it will take some time. But as the question was 10 years ahead, it could be that quantum computing is a thing. Mm -hmm. Now, like um, a couple of years ago or a couple of decades ago with a, with a personal computer um, in, in the business. So um, that I think will be the crucial topic. And what we neglected, I hope we don't, mm -hmm. but I mean, this is a topic which really um, get on my nerves. It's the, because it hinders me on doing things mm -hmm. and stuff but it's kind of data privacy and um, anything you mean because we have too much too many or too strict rules on data privacy or no um, I mean I think we'll be not the right rules let's put it this way mm -hmm. right because even the more in a bank you know we are highly regulated and mm -hmm. uh, 
our data security officers, they're going crazy if you want to talk about um, decentralization and uh, artificial intelligence and open AI and whatsoever. But um, I don't know if this in general, not only in the finance sector and or in, in the banking sector, but in general, I think um, we should be focusing way, way, way more on data privacy and uh, the privacy of of personal information in general, mm-hmm. right? Because, I mean, we're very keen to give everything we know or what we have or what we do out. And we, like I said, with the upcoming of more and stronger computational uh, power and artificial intelligence, I don't think that's a too good idea. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And um, what I think or do not hope that we neglect it is um, to inform the people in the right ways so that they do not lose traction. Because I see that every now and then with um, not my parents directly, but with other people their age, that they lose somehow the connection with the pace that we are Mm -hmm. going forward. And um, uh, sometimes it's... Yeah, it's it's a real challenge to to educate them the right way because um, I just got a call from someone from my family, not my parents directly, and uh, it said, "Yeah, I clicked on on this SMS for a parcel, but I did not order anything, and now I'm afraid that it's a scam." Mm-hmm. And I said, "Yeah, true, that could be a scam, but Classic. why have you clicked it? Yeah, it was just too late. It looked really." authentic what was the result that person after that was just too scared to click anything also the things when you register a new bank account Mm -hmm. like please click here to confirm Mm -hmm. your data and this person was like okay but what do i click now where is it safe frozen the process all right so we need to take care of um of the different generations and the people so that we do not lose their connection to them. Absolutely. Right? So, so we're going back to the start. It's uh, all about education and building awareness um, so that people are not afraid of using technology, but also are not being lost. Yes. <laughs> okay. The last question is not a question that you answer, but now <laughs> you are also allowed to put a question um, on this episode for the next guest. So what do you want to know? Actually, it's pretty funny because I was going to ask a similar question, which Stefan asked to me to the next one coming okay. up, but I changed it a bit. Mm-hmm. So um, more on the contributing to education side, like how can fintech startups contribute to improving financial literacy and education among the users in the future? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's... So I want to know that from the next one. Okay. Um, so <laughs> I'm sure that um, this will be a challenging one for for our next guest. And um, then we are unfortunately at the end of today's episode. I think we could have also talked way more about all these topics, but... Um, Maybe our ways cross again for podcasts in the future. Thank you, Marco, for hosting us today at the Metzler office. It was a great pleasure. Absolutely. Likewise, it was a great pleasure for hosting you, (laughs) but uh, also um, participating at my first podcast. Absolute fun moment. You Um, should do that more often. 
Thanks. Uh, maybe I will do my own one. <laughs> <laughs> We can collaborate on that. Okay, great. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening today to this episode of the Fintech Germany Award Jewelry Podcast enabled by Financial Times. All further information can be found in the show notes. 